Please join with me in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank thee, Lord. What a blessing it is to come into this place to worship thee with the saints, to sing songs of praise, to sing thy word back to thee. Lord, we ask for thy help as we open thy word now. We ask, God, that thy grace may be upon us, that we might profit from the preaching of thy word. Lord, thou art good. Thou art our Father, and thou workest all things after the counsel of thine own will, but for the good of thy people. Lord Jesus, may we see thee more richly, more deeply, more have have more intimate communion with thee, O Lord. We thank thee for thy sacrifice, Lord, that we might see thee and know thee through this prophet. Thy word would be effectual unto our hearts, O Lord. By the power of thy Holy Spirit, and we come before thee, O gracious and blessed Spirit, thou who art our down payment, our seal for our redemption. Thou would equip us, enable us to hear thy word, to not waste it, to profit from it. Lord, I bring this weak endeavor to preach thy word before thee and ask, Lord, that thou would bless it to these people. And to mine own heart, O Lord. Father, we ask for thy help, and we trust that thou will give it to us in the power of thy spirit. I lift these things up to thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus. Amen. Jonah, chapter 2. A prayer from the fish's belly. Dear congregation, as we observed last Lord's Day, there is one antagonist in the book of Jonah. One villain, and that villain, that antagonist, that anti-hero, is Jonah himself, that prophet who bears the name of this book. He's the bad guy in the book. He is the antagonist. It's a very interesting thing to see in the scriptures. We saw that this great prophet in chapter 1 This man of God, who was greatly used of the Lord to bring a giant part of the coast of Israel to salvation and turn them back from idolatry, we saw this same man, this same prophet, now disobey a clear and a direct command of Jehovah. In verses 1 and 2, we read, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. We saw not only his disobedience last week, but also the result of that disobedience of the prophet. He was pushed further on in sin. His heart was hardened. Shame was brought upon him and upon his God for his sin. 
by the unbelieving sailors that were with him. And he was ultimately cast into the sea by God's judgment. And verse 17, ending chapter 1, says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Dear congregation, we left Jonah sitting in the darkness, sitting in the solitude and slime of the fish's gut. And now we pick up with a different theme. Jonah's realization of his sin. It is unclear whether the following verses, this prayer of Jonah's, was uttered either throughout the entire time he was in the fish's belly or more towards the end of his stay within. But either way, we pick up in chapter 2, which is made up of eight verses of Hebrew poetry sandwiched between two verses of prose narrative. Let us read chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish. And it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Let's notice four points in our text this Lord's Day. Number one, Jonah prays. Be our first observation. Number two, Jonah recognizes his plight. His plight. Number three, Jonah recognizes God's mercy. And number four, God delivers Jonah. So first... Jonah prays. That's the first observation. Verses 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Within this prophet's prayer, we can notice a few things. First, that Jonah prayed. Even in the midst of his great trial, he prayed. It is never too late for repentance. It is never too late to pray and come unto the Lord. As long as a person yet lives, it's never too late. We ought to model and encourage swift repentance before the watching world and our fellow believers. Both John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus came to the Jewish people and preached repentance. They called those who were nominally believers, to turn from their life of unbelief and turn to a life of faith. Repent ye and believe the gospel, was their call in Mark 1.15. That was the Lord Jesus Christ's own words. Paul reminds the Corinthian church that today is the day 
of salvation, 1 Corinthians 6.2. So when sharing the gospel with those around us, we ought to give them a sense of urgency. Today is the day of salvation. Repent now. Be swift in coming unto the Lord, for you do not know if you shall live another day. And this means that we ourselves must feel that sense of urgency. Often, church planters ask, how can we get our people excited about God and passionate about God? You have to be passionate. If we want people in our lives to see the beauty of Christ, to see how good God is, we must see that. Notice also, to whom Jonah prays. This is important because Israel was caught up in idolatry at this time, praying to the Baals, serving the Baals. Unto the Lord his God is the answer. Notice his God. Though Jonah was currently living like a complete unbeliever, and in fact was actually living worse than an unbeliever, since the the unbelievers around him were being converted and coming unto Jehovah and recognizing what was taking place, and they're placing their faith in Jehovah God. Yet he was living like an unbeliever. And even in the midst of this, he now turns his eyes upward to his God. This teaches us, this teaches us that believers can and do often fall into grievous sins and disobedience. However, for a true believer, this is never the end of the story. That life of disobedience they might fall into for a season, grievous sin, that's never the end of the story. Their faith shall not fail, for Christ prays for their faith. This is why Paul tells the church, And Philippi, that God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1.6. Though Jonah, up until this point, had disowned God, God had not disowned Jonah. And when his repentance was renewed, God was still his God. It's not that God stopped being his God while he was disobedient. He remained his God. And so when Jonah was made ready his repentance again and came afresh unto God. He was still his God. And that teaches us, dear church, that it is never too late for us as Christians. God does not break his covenant with us. He is not a covenant breaker. He is not a man that he should lie or repent. We can always return unto him as the prodigal son did. Though no longer worthy to be called God's children, no longer worthy to be brought into the household. As prodigals, we can come to God, and he will yet embrace us with a kiss. He'll put a ring upon our fingers, shoes upon our feet, a robe upon our back at our return. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, If we believe not, yet he, God, abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Therefore, no matter what sin we have committed, no matter what sin, we ought to speedily approach the throne of grace. All the more reason to approach the throne of grace if you be a sinner. Do not be surprised at your sin. Do not be surprised at your disobedience. Be ashamed of it. Be filled with hatred for your sin. But come unto Christ. The offer is there always. Speedily approach the throne of grace and faith. Turning away from disobedience. Make your calling and election sure. That's what that means. It is also worth noting where 
Jonah utters this prayer. It says, out of the fish's belly. From this we learn that there is no place, no situation, no chastisement in which the believer finds himself where he cannot pray to the Lord his God. The Lord his God. Though Jonah had been cast into the sea and now swallowed up by the great fish for his sin, yet seeing that he still lived, he prayed. Come to God, dear believer. Come to God afresh, whatever your situation may be. Notice also, number two, second observation about Jonah's prayer, the substance of his prayer, the substance of Jonah's prayer. Every verse in this prayer, every verse in this chapter besides verse 1 and verse 10 is a quote either directly or an allusion to the Psalms. To the Psalms. He prayed scripture while in the fish's belly. Even in the midst of that dark place and the darkness and grime of his seeming fate, Jonah was able to meditate upon and pray the scriptures. This teaches us that we ought to hide God's word in our heart. The psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.11 We ought to memorize it, dear believers. We ought to meditate on it regularly so that when we do not have a Bible, yet we're able to commune with God through the Bible. This is why David says, that the man who delighteth in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night is blessed in Psalm 1, verse 2. If you find your prayer life is dry, dear Christian, I know I do, oftentimes, then pray God's word back to him. Having a formless prayer, no method for prayer, will leave you just uttering the same kind of things over and over again. Prayer becomes a chore. Prayer becomes lifeless. Pray God's word back to him. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan Bible commentator, seeing that his life was coming to a close, decided to postpone finishing his commentary. He didn't finish it. He got all the way through Acts, and he decided to stop and write a book on prayer. Write a book on prayer. What makes his book, which is called A Method for Prayer, so valuable is that the prayers are largely scriptural quotations reworked into prayers. Matthew Henry viewed teaching God's people how to pray God's word to be of greater value than simply expounding the word to them. If you find your prayer life dry or lazy, take out your Bible. This is just really practical stuff right here. Take out your Bible, open to the first psalm, and begin praying the psalms back to God. It is as simple as this. Read the first line, Blessed is the man, and pray, O Lord, I ask that thou wouldst make me a blessed person, a person who knows thee and loves thee, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but who meditates on thy word both day and night, etc., etc. And you just go through, whether in a notebook, out loud. Third observation about Jonah's prayer. We look at the substance now. The content of the opening of Jonah's prayer. He says, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, 
and thou heardest my voice. He's quoting Psalm 31, 22, and Psalm 120, verse 1. And in quoting these two uh, passages, Jonah recognizes that he is in a dire strait. He was under great affliction, well, rather, self-affliction, because he put himself in this position. So out of the belly of hell, he says, which, namely, that means the belly of death and destruction, of the grave, Jonah prayed in faith from that place. He took comfort in the fact that although he was under chastisement at that moment for his sin, and though he had greatly shamed the name of his God, yet God heard him. God, thou heardest my voice, Jonah prays. As believers, we are no longer in some kind of need to ponder and anxiously wring our hands, wondering and doubting whether God will be gracious to us or not. He has accepted us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is our only comfort in life and death. This is our only comfort in life and death, that we can approach God through Jesus Christ. Our sins are covered, dear believer. Your sins are covered, dear believer. They're as far from God's face as the east is from the west. So when you approach him, you don't have to worry, is he going to be merciful to me? Yes, God will be merciful to you because he loves you and because you are found in Christ and not in your own righteousness. The just charges that were laid against us for our sins no longer stand. They've been absorbed in another. For another, namely our elder brother, Jesus, took them upon his broad shoulders and carried them away. Now, when the Jews sacrificed at the temple, they took two goats. You can read about this in Leviticus. They took two goats. Upon one goat, they professed the sins of the people. They laid their hands upon its head and professed the sins of the people upon the goat. And then they slaughtered it before the altar. And that represented the punishment for the people's sins. They deserved to die the death because they had sinned. And the the goat absorbed it. Upon the other goat, they also laid their hands on it and professed the people's sins upon it. But then they led it away, out into the desert, away from the people. And they let it go. This was called the scapegoat. And this represented that the sins of the people were not only atoned for, but also carried away. No longer before God's presence. What do we learn from that? How much more, dear Christian... How much more comfort and boldness we should have. Knowing that our Christ, the true Passover lamb, has sacrificed himself on our behalf. That he has atoned for our sins, being both man and God. And has fully and actually, not just in type and shadow and figure as these goats, but he's actually and fully atoned for our sins. Therefore, let us, as John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John 1.29 In Christ, dear believer, God heareth our prayers. No matter how great our sin is. Why? It is done away. It is done away. Second point. Jonah recognized his plight before God. Be reading verses 3 through 6a. 
For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Notice that he's quoting Psalm 42, verse 7. Psalm 69, verse 15. And in quoting those passages and praying these passages to God, Jonah acknowledges that it was God who had cast him into the deep and into the midst of the sea. Why is this important? Jonah had sinned. Jonah had sinned. He left off following God. He decided rather to run away from the calling God had given him. And in so doing, he brought God's wrath upon himself, and not only himself, but all the sailors who were in the boat with him. But God was gracious to those sailors. We saw that last week. Brought them to salvation through this move of Jonah, this disobedience. And he commanded, therefore, Jonah be cast into the sea. This came from God's hand. This came from God's hand, and Jonah knew it. Jonah knew it. That's why he prays this way. This was the punishment for his sin. He recognized that. But, as was mentioned earlier, Jonah saw this as not coming from a place of anger from God, but from fatherly correction, a place of fatherly love, chastisement. Hebrews 12, 6, the apostle tells us, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's difficult. That's difficult. The writer of Hebrews then goes on to say it's hard. But let us bow, dear Christians, let us bow under the Lord's chastening of us. We must see our fault before we can be restored. Previously, the apostle had said in Hebrews 12, 5, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. What do we do instead? What do we do instead? We're to come and embrace all of the crosses which God, in his love for us, lays upon our back. For they are for our good and not for evil. And we can also remember that Christ always carries the heaviest side of the cross. He always carries the heaviest side of the cross so that we'll be able to bear it. We must, as Robert Murray McShane once said, we must kiss the rose and feel the thorn. That is the Christian life, to kiss the rose and feel the thorn. Second observation here. In verse 4, Jonah recognizes that though he was in a manner cast out of God's sight, yet he says he would look again towards his holy temple. This demonstrates an aspect of hope in Jonah in the midst of his trial. Although it seemed that death and hell had swallowed him up, and he was lacking assurance because of his sin, he was feeling even cast out from God's presence, yet he would not leave off seeking God. And that's important. That's important. We can learn from that, that in the midst of so many things we go through, to seek after God, no matter how bad it is, mentioned that he faces the temple he looks again towards god's holy temple the jewish practice of facing east towards the temple in prayer was not merely some superstitious religious duty 
What was it then? It was a sign and symbol for the Jews to remember God's faithfulness and mercy. It's a sign and symbol. They prayed facing the means through which they had safe approach to God, namely the temple with its sacrifices, where God was propitious and merciful to them. Now, we, as Christians, pray facing Jesus. We pray facing Jesus Christ, the true and greater means of approach to God. Let us behold a gracious God through the looking glass that is Jesus Christ. Third observation, in verse 5, and 6a says this, The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. That Jonah feels the full weight of his hopeless situation here. Outside of God's intervention, he knew that this punishment would lead to his death. This is the meaning of the waters compassed me round about, even to the soul. I mean, the depths of the sea and of the fish's belly, closed round about Jonah, shutting him off from life. The weeds were wrapped about him like chains, choking him out. He was sinking to the very bottom of the mountains, meaning the sea floor. The bottom of the sea floor as a dead man. The bars of the earth would imprison his lifeless body forevermore. This is what this means in this prayer in these two verses. And it is good for us dear church, to fully recognize the true hopelessness of our situations outside of God's intervention. Let us not rely on the arm of the flesh, on the arm of the flesh, but on the strong arm of Jehovah God who works on behalf of those who come to him in faith. Peter recognized something of this in John 6. When the people abandoned Jesus for his gracious doctrine willing rather to live for worldly pursuits and attain salvation through works? Peter saw something of this. When Jesus asked the twelve disciples, will ye also go away? Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That's John 6, 67 and 68. And we must recognize, dear believers, that unless we abide in Christ, we can do nothing. But when we abide in Christ, we will bring forth much fruit. John 15. Third point. Jonah recognizes God's mercy. This is in 6b through verse 9. He says, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now in the midst of his despair, Jonah recalls to remembrance God's mercy. Notice number one, in verse seven, it says, Jonah remembered the Lord. And in verse six, that he had faith that God would bring up his life from corruption. This remembrance, this word remember here, is not meant to communicate forgetfulness, though sinners, we often forget God's mercy. Rather, remember, especially in the Old Testament scriptures and the prophets, is covenantal. It's covenantal. God remembered Noah, if you recall, in Genesis. He remembered Israel in the wilderness and in their exiles. What does it mean that God remembered? Did he forget? 
Certainly not. It means that God acted upon his covenantal promises to his people. So too are we called to remember the promises of God. Meaning we are to act on them and rest in them. Remembering God's promises is not passive. It's active. This covenantal meaning is further proved by the rest of Jonah's language. Namely, that he remembered his God. Again, he uses that term, his God. He states that it was my God who brought his life up from corruption. Notice that this was a kind of resurrection, dear church. This was a kind of resurrection. Jonah was as good as dead, right? Jonah's as good as dead at this point. He was not only cast into the sea to drown, but then a giant fish eats him. He's as good as dead. He's been there three days, three nights. Not only cast in the sea, but even swallowed by this great fish, sitting in its belly three days, three nights. Yet, he proclaims that he would be delivered from this grave. This prefigures and points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When all hope was lost, if you recall in the Gospels, when all hope is lost, Jesus has been crucified. He dies. He really dies right there. Buried in a tomb and laid there three days and three nights. His disciples have already mourned for him. Then, at that point, the glorious Son of God, the Savior of his people, rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering sin, and bringing the gift of eternal life to his people. This is what Jonah is pointing forward to. And Jesus himself points back to this. This is a kind of resurrection. You've brought my life up from corruption, he says. And we ought also, as believers, as Christians, to remember God's promises when we feel that we have sunk to the very depths of hell and death in our life. When we look at our life and go, my life is as good as dead. What else do I have to live for? I'm at the bottom of the barrel. When we're at that point, we have to hope in Christ. Jonah was able to do this because he knew his prayers would be accepted. Why do I say that? If we look in that same verse, he says, And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. Previously, he prayed toward the temple, towards the temple, in remembrance. Now, he is assured. He is assured that his prayers were not only toward, but into the holy temple. Into the holy temple, and that they were received of God. This is what it means to be praying in faith as Christians, knowing that God hears us when we pray. Do you know that God hears you when you pray? You have that promise as a Christian. Oftentimes we just lift up these cold prayers. I don't really know if anyone's listening, right? But we have to stand in faith and go, I know that my God hears me. And when I pray, he will act. He will act. For they are received. We must then claim the promises of God. We must know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. And we must reckon that the sufferings of this present time, being in the belly of a whale, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In the heat of the moment, dear believer, in the heat of the moment, in the depths of your doubt, your disbelief, your pain, your despair, cry out. Cry out with the psalmist. In Psalm 121, he says this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. 
My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. There's the power. This is the, the God who made all things. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Those are promises. Those are promises you can cling to as a believer. And secondly, Jonah renews his repentance in this section. He renews his repentance, decrying his sin and taking hold of God in thankfulness. He states in verse 8 that those who observe lying vanities, the lying vanities of false gods, forsake their own mercy. Forsake their own mercy. Jonah recognizes that there is no hope in disobedience. There is no hope in disobedience. He thought he could escape from God and everything would be okay. There's no mercy in the idolatry of self-autonomy. Hear that, dear Christian. When we worship the God of self-autonomy and decide that we're going to do what we want to do, there is no hope. There is no mercy in that. That's disobedience. We must seek God's will in our life. We must seek God's will in our life. There is no mercy in the idolatry of self-autonomy. To be a partaker in mercy, Jonah knew that he had to forsake the false ways that he had been walking in. As a prophet to Israel. Remember, he's a prophet. Jonah's a prophet to Israel who had called Israel to repent. The entire coast had repented from worshiping false gods. God used Jonah. Now he recognizes that his disobedience was akin to the idolatry of the Israelites whom he had called to repent. This must have really resonated with the prophet Jonah. When we live in inconsistency as believers... The tendency is to then dig in. Well, I've already blown it. I've already sinned. I've already messed up. But we must fight that temptation. We must not then go deeper into the hole of the boat like Jonah did. We must rather decry our sin and turn immediately back to God. And we must do this in thanksgiving to God. This is why Jonah states that he will sacrifice unto God with thanksgiving. And that he will pay that I have vowed. What was that that he had vowed? Thankful obedience to God. The Christian life. The Christian life is a life which recognizes God's hand in the process of salvation. Meaning from beginning to end. We see guilt, grace, and gratitude. We see our guilt that we are sinners. Deserving and worthy of hell. Who have earned it. It's our wage. Then we see God's grace in Jesus Christ. And thus we live in gratitude to him. Why is this? Verse 9. Because salvation is of the Lord. It's of Jehovah. This is the grand theme of the book of Jonah. We talked about that last week. This one verse is the grand theme of Jonah. And indeed of the whole Bible. That salvation is of the Lord. Notice this whole book. From, from God's call to save the Ninevites. Tells Jonah, go and preach to the Ninevites that they might repent and come unto salvation. To the salvation of the crew in the midst of Jonah's storm that was sent to him. To the deliverance of Jonah from the whale in this chapter. To the salvation of the people of Nineveh. This book proclaims that all salvation is completely and entirely from beginning to end of the Lord. 
And that's good news. God works how and when he pleaseth. All by his own sovereign power and all for his own glory. Jonah had now come to realize this. At least in part. If he had not realized it in his previous ministry to the Israelites, where people were turned to Christ, turned to back to Jehovah from worshiping false gods, if he had not realized it yet, then certainly he had realized it at this point. Certainly he had realized it at this point, that salvation is of the Lord. So dear believer, let us follow in Jonah's footsteps and respond to God's gracious salvation in thankfulness and in obedience. It's all he asks. This is our good and necessary sacrifice. Our good and necessary consequence of what God has done for us is to love him, to serve him, to follow him. It's our reasonable worship. This is a blessed place to be. When we see that salvation is of the Lord, it cuts off all confidence in the flesh. All of it. And it brings us to God. It brings us to God. We are helpless before him. God delights in saving weak and helpless sinners, dear church. He delights in doing so. He rejoices over his children whom he has saved sovereignly and completely and totally with great joy. It is a prayer that we should make our prayer as believers, that we would see this more. Fourth, God delivers Jonah. God delivers Jonah, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. After this whole grueling ordeal, three days, three nights, and the digestive juices of the fish's belly, finally Jonah is delivered. It vomited Jonah upon dry ground. After his great disobedience, and even after now his renewed repentance and faith, Jonah is now delivered. Let us notice first who it was that delivered Jonah. It says, the Lord spake unto the fish. There was no getting out of this on his own. He recognized this. Salvation must come from the Lord. Jonah had faith that he would be delivered as he prayed that brought my life up from corruption. He had faith that he would be delivered while he was in the fish's belly, but now his faith became sight as he was vomited out onto the dry ground. If you are a Christian in this room today, you have gone through the dark night of death, sin's conviction. You have felt yourself buried in death and in hell, and you have seen that salvation is of the Lord. You have now come to see that. You've been delivered from your sins, delivered from the sea and the dangers therein, and now brought to solid ground, dry land. Let us remember that all people outside of Christ, dear church, are currently in that belly, that death, as it were, in their sins. There is a hell, Matthew Henry said, in which a man can pray for deliverance and be delivered into the hell of this earth, the hell of suffering. But he then pointed that there will be a hell that comes into which they will be cast, from which they cannot be delivered, no matter what prayers for deliverance they pray. This should give us urgency with those around us. Secondly, Jonah was vomited onto dry land, likely in the same place he had embarked on his disobedience. And this was for the purpose of continuing the work that God had given him to do. God never saves a person 
that they might live stagnant and unmoving, uncaring. He saves us that we might love and serve him. That we might become his means of grace to others. That's why we're saved. We're saved unto service. In and through Christ Jesus, God has been rich in mercy toward us who were dead in trespasses and sins because of his great love wherewith he loved us, saving us by grace through faith so that we would be his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Dear believer, we were saved to serve him and not ourselves. Not to sit back and figure out and plan, now what will I do now that I don't have to worry about hell in the future? We were not saved for solitude either, dear church, but but for society with one another. Fellowship in the local church. Not saved for self-service, but for works of grace. Jonah is saved and delivered that he might go to Nineveh. He was called to go to Nineveh. He disobeyed. Now he's delivered from that trial to go to Nineveh. Just like he was first called to do. Third, Jonah, as Jonah was brought up from the dead, as it were, so too was Christ resurrected from the grave and us in him. Salvation is of the Lord. And in our Lord Jesus Christ, both specifically and exclusively, specifically and exclusively, Jesus tells us that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, three days, three nights, and yet was brought out, so too will he be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights and will rise again from the dead for our justification and sanctification. Jesus is prefigured, shadowed, and symboled in Jonah. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, verses 4 through 8, as Christ was raised up from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Live with him. Jonah serves as a sign. Jonah serves as a sign. And that sign points us to Jesus Christ. Just like we've said time and time again. All of this Old Testament book. These words of God. Inspired. And given to us. All point to Jesus. Every single page of the Old Testament. Points us to Jesus Christ. Or it is of no value. And we should follow Andy Stanley and unhitch this thing. And just focus on the New Testament. But indeed, that is not the case. That is not the case. Jonah points us to Christ. He is a prefiguring of Christ. And when we look to Christ, we cast our eyes upon him. And his death and his resurrection for our salvation. We must realize that it is from the Lord alone. Jonah serves as a constant reminder that salvation is of the Lord and that this salvation is found in Christ 
alone. As we continue our study in Jonah, let us keep our eyes on the living Christ who died and rose again for our sins. Let us cry out for more and more faith in Christ and for a richer and more intimate communion with him, dear church. Salvation is of the Lord by and in Jesus Christ alone, through faith alone. O Lord, grant us faith, must be our prayer. Amen, let us pray. Heavenly Father, please grant us faith in thy Son Jesus, by the power of thy Holy Spirit. Apply this word to thy people. In Jesus' name, amen.